We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. So Monday morning, Mondays are our days off. And at some point early in the morning, I have no idea because I was dead asleep. Bethany got a text message that we had an employee who wasn't going to make it in to work that day. So Bethany got up, got ready, and headed in to open up the shop at Cultivate. And she got there and she unlocked the door as she normally does. She walked in, kind of noticed a little bit of furniture, moved around where it's not normally at, but didn't think much of it turned on the espresso machine, turned on the lights, got some things going, and then wondered, as she saw the corner of her eye, why are all these straws on the floor over here? And then she turned and looked and saw more of a mess on the floor, including the cash register that had been ripped out and all the cash removed. She called me, FaceTimed me, found out there were more things taken, a checkbook, which we put a stop on right away, and a bunch of equipment. And it was a pretty rough morning. It was a rough start to the week, especially when it should have been our day off together. And so we were just like, man, what is going on here? And actually, when Bethany first called me and FaceTimed me, at first, my thought was, well, it's, you know, it's just some money. Like, it's fine. It's not a big deal. It wasn't until I got into the shop and I went into our office that I saw my microphone was gone. <laughs> that hit me, which is like a really weird thing, I know. Uh, but it's this microphone I've had forever, and we used to record a lot of stuff with, and uh, I like audio stuff. And so I was like, they took my microphone? Like, who would do that? And I wanted to become Batman all of a sudden and go find them. But then Bethany was like, yeah, they took my guitar too. And that made me even more upset because this is a guitar that was given to her when she was graduating high school from her parents. It was the first guitar that she learned how to play on, really. Uh, and so she doesn't really play it anymore, but a lot of sentimental value. Can't replace that. We have insurance that can replace all the other things. Rough start to the week. But then as the week went on, and even as that day went on, we saw God show up through people. This happened before. Many of you know the story. Years ago when we were trying to get Cultivate started by starting a mobile coffee trailer, the whole trailer was stolen with 600 pounds of green raw coffee on it, our generator, a bunch of equipment. And we thought we were done. That was all of our assets, all of our inventory, just gone like that. We thought we were done. And yet God, through community, through people, made a way for us to continue. And not just continue, he actually propelled us forward in this vision he had given us of being able to open an actual coffee shop that people can come into. So here we are again with, a, with another robbery and in that moment, I could say, actually, we, we don't need all that same support anymore. And that's where we're able to see, like, God has already been showing up. Because the fact that even if we didn't have insurance and even if we didn't have community support, what they took wasn't going to break us was an evidence of God's grace throughout the last three years that he's been providing for us, uh, that we're not just striving, but thriving. And yet community support still came in. People started donating. People started coming in on purpose, like, hey, we're, let's go show them some support. Let's go in and, and buy a bunch of stuff and hang out. And this week has like broken records for us every day on how much we brought in in revenue. So like 
40% above and beyond what we normally would get. It's been amazing. It's, it's been a great reminder to us, as hard as the week has been with lots of other things happening as well, it's been a week of seeing God show up in the hard things. And I hope, my prayer is that you all have stories like that too. Maybe not with coffee shops and burglaries, but you have stories where things have been hard and you've seen God show up still. And that's the story we're hearing about today, this morning, about the early church thousands of years ago, that they also had a lot of hard things, way harder than what I just talked about happened to them, and yet they saw God show up. And so what we read this morning as we were praying over our deacons was this story about how something happening within their community was becoming hard, and it was threatening division amongst them. And yet, God shows up and continues to bring a spirit of unity. And he does so through giving wisdom and how they delegated how they would hand out the food. It seems like such a logical, rational thing, but it was actually the spirit of God giving wisdom in order to carry that out. So that this division that was happening within a community would not be the thing that would break them apart. But instead, it became an opportunity to bring more structure, to bring more uh, solidity, to bring more unity to a community. And that story then transitions with one of those people that we mentioned, Stephen. It transitions to now some opposition, some threats to the community from the outside. And we see how God shows up even in the midst of that. And so in Acts 6, if you'll read with me, we're going to read a section of that. Picking up in verse 8, Stephen is one of the seven men they had just chosen from that crew, most likely, of the Hellenistic Jews. Uh, The Greek people, we're assuming because of his name, was a Greek name. And so Stephen was one of these people who was chosen not just to, like, set up chairs and, you know, pass out plates of food, right? That's That's not it. It's they chose people who were men filled with the Spirit, who were filled with faith. And we're going to see that play out. The thing that he was called and appointed to do was physical acts of service, but we're also going to see how that exudes out from him this good news and how that good news is going to face some opposition. So in verse 8, Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from some members of the Freedmen's Synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, and they began to argue with Stephen. So most likely those are just different regions of of Greek people. And again, he was most likely a Greek person, so these might have been people who he was in community with before he came to Jesus. And now he's in this new community. Uh, And so they're having these conversations. So imagine going back to some of your old friends and explaining why your life is so radically different than it was in college. Right? So they began to argue with him. Verse 10. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. So we see Stephen is, is performing signs and wonders, and he's, got, he's full of grace and power. And it sounded like what we were hearing about Peter and John, right? Suddenly they start doing all these miraculous things. They, they heal a man on the way into the temple. They're, Peter's boldly speaking with wisdom about Jesus. And we're seeing that that's extending 
into other members of the body. It's not just the guys who are up front and center, right? Stephen, who's been waiting tables, is full of the same grace and power of the same spirit and is doing the same miraculous things. So verse 11, then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. Why does Moses matter? Because Moses wrote uh, the law that they were accustomed to living by. So what they're saying is, we heard him speaking against the ways of God, which he wasn't doing. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. So they came, seized him and took him to the Sanhedrin. That's the religious council. They also presented false witnesses who said, this man never stopped speaking against this holy place and the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. That should be like, okay, maybe, hold on. Maybe we should slow down a bit here. Maybe there's something going on that should have given them pause, right? But as we're going to see in chapter 7, it doesn't. So what's happening here is these, these men and women who are arguing with Stephen find out that, man, he's really smart, uh, or he's got a lot of wisdom. And like everything they would say to try to refute him, he had something to say because the wisdom of the Holy Spirit was speaking through him. And so when they couldn't win their battle with words in front of people, they used their secret words, their deceitful words in the dark to go around and gather a group of people. And this is a group of Greek people who then go and get the religious leaders of Israel and they stir them up. They're like, if we can't can't beat him with our words in public, in the public square, then we'll go to the people who they're claiming to follow and say, hey, they're actually not following your God. They're actually like twisting the words of your God. So this is very sneaky, it's underhanded, it's outright lying. So they go and they try to, again, bring this uh, division from within. So they go and they get the Jewish religious leaders and they do the same thing they did to Jesus. They go, well, let's go stir up a whole crowd of people. Let's go get a mob after them, right? And they go and they see Stephen. So they bring him before the council and they're all just coming at him. And Stephen's sitting there And his face starts just, I don't know if it's radiating, if it's glowing. I don't know what exactly that means when it says his face looked like that of an angel. Remember, we've talked about that word angel actually just means messenger, right? But there is a difference of when God has messengers who are human messengers and God has like these celestial being messengers, right? That he'll send sometimes. And the the point is, well, I think what Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, is trying to show us is Stephen now is filled with the holiness of God, with the spirit of God who is in the heavens. And now this regular man, this guy waiting tables, this regular person is shining with the radiance and the glory and the holiness of God. He has become a messenger. Remember how we said earlier that story we read of them appointing the seven people, it was kind of reminding us of kind of what happened with Moses, right? When Jethro came and said, hey, this is how you should delegate. This is how you should do this. Don't try to do it all yourself. 
And this story right here is reminding us of that time when Moses went up as a messenger to the mountaintop to receive God's word, to receive his commandments, and then brought it back down to the people. And as a messenger from God, his face was shining. It was glowing with radiance because he had just seen just a small glimpse, a sliver of the holiness of God. And what did it do? It like rubbed off on him. When we're entering into the world, when we're entering into our jobs, our workplaces, our schools, when we're going into our communities, I think this is a good question for us to ask ourselves, to take some stock, some inventory, is do people see the radiance of God's glory on us? Do people see us as a messenger of the true God? Do they see the power, the grace and power that Stephen was full with? Or do we enter into those spaces wondering how we're going to be liked, wondering how we're going to be received, uh, trying to find ways to get along and to fit in, right? It's not bad to get along and fit in. What, what is our intention, though, when we enter into those spaces? Do we enter into those spaces just like, this is going to be a good time? Do we enter into those spaces with, man, I really don't want to see these people? Or do we enter into those spaces with the glory of God is with me, and I'm a messenger of him. Stephen is sitting in the public square on a normal day, and he has this opportunity to become a messenger of God when people start having a conversation with him. And it turns into an argument. And then that normal day turns into an awful day where he's now on trial before the religious leaders of this faith that he had just entered into. And on trial now, he continues to be a messenger. At this point, he hasn't even said anything. And his face is giving off the appearance of a messenger of God. I don't have like three tips to give you on how you can make your face look like a messenger of God. (laughs) But man, isn't that incredible? I don't have tips to give you because it's the spirit at work within him. Are we open to that? Are we open to what God wants to do in and through us? And I think when we hear like, oh, he was doing signs and wonders, that's pretty cool. Sign me up for that, right? When we hear like he had so much wisdom, no one could refute him. Man, I would love to be on Twitter and not let anyone be able to like argue against what I say. There's a lot of arguing on Twitter. It seems like no one ever wins. But could you imagine if no one could ever beat you in an argument? Sign me up for that too, right? But what about when you're sitting on trial? What about when you're facing prison, or as we'll see, possibly much worse? Are we open to what God wants to do through us then? So chapter 7 goes on, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you. It is pretty long, but basically the high priest comes in and they ask Stephen, hey, are all these things true, these things that these people are saying about you? And of course, they weren't true. But you know what Stephen doesn't do? He doesn't start defending himself. He doesn't start examining witnesses and tearing apart their story and showing how it's not true. He doesn't even start talking about why Jesus makes sense right away. He doesn't start doing apologetics, right? He doesn't say, hey, let me refute 
the, the ways that you're living your life and tell you how if we just live like Jesus, everything would be better. What he does is he tells a story. Tells a story. He doesn't just tell any story. He tells the true story of the world. This, this is why at Missy, we're constantly talking about the story, right? This is why we're always reminding ourselves of those six symbols because over and over again, time and time again, what we see the apostles doing, and even many of the prophets in the Old Testament, is whenever there was opposition like this, they would meet that opposition with, let me tell you a story. And Jesus would do this as well. So he meets that, not in a way to defend himself, but to say, hey, let me remind you of the story that we all live in. The thing that we have is something that makes sense out of the craziness of this world. It's something that makes sense out of all the brokenness, all the hurt, all the division, all the arguing, all the different ideologies that don't seem to mesh and are coming to a head. We have a story that actually makes sense out of all of that. And instead of trying to go through like some apologetics and let me give you some major points on why this, and instead of going through like, hey, let me refute what you believe and tell you why that's wrong. He just says, this is the story. This is the world we live in. And he actually, he starts with something they would agree on. They agreed on Moses. That was the thing they were there like coming at him against. They were accusing him of being against Moses. So he starts, he starts with Abraham and he moves to Moses. He goes, hey, let, let me tell you the story that you're a part of. And he connects it with them. And as he starts going through the story, all the way back from Abraham, moving up through Egypt, and then Moses and how God rescued them out. And he, he moves them even into when they get into the promised land, the kingdom with King Dave and Solomon building the temple for God and the prophets and even exile into Babylon. All along the way, he sprinkles in there how God's people continued to rebel. This is what God did. He tells a story about how Moses himself, when he went to go rescue someone who was being beaten, and then he ends up actually murdering the person who was beating him. That, that part's not so good, right? <laughs> but then the next day, the very people who Moses is called to rescue, they start coming after him now. What are you going to do, Moses? Are you going to murder us too? And Moses is an imperfect example of someone God sent to go and bring rescue and salvation to his people. But Stephen's setting up the story because eventually he's getting to Jesus. He's going to get there. And so we'll see in chapter 7, in verse 51, he says this. He now turns to them from telling the story of their whole history, the story of Israel, the story of why they, they don't have a nation at this point when Stephen's there. And then telling the story, he's now gotten to them. And he turns and he looks at them. And he says this in verse 51. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your ancestors did, you do also. That you stiff-necked people just means you're stubborn. 
you will not turn, right? Repentance, we know, is that it means to turn away from your sin, your selfishness, to turn toward God and his ways. And he's saying they won't turn, they're stubborn. That uncircumcised in your hearts and in your ears, they would have prided themselves on following the letter of the law and they would have been circumcised as the law from Moses would have said to do. But he's saying, no, 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 you haven't cut off the stuff that's in the way of your heart. You haven't cleaned up your heart. You're priding yourself on what you've done on the outside, but inwardly, you refuse to listen to God's words. He says, this is no different. This is exactly the story that we've been telling of how our ancestors have done this very thing. And now here you are repeating those mistakes. Verse 52, which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? Remember, Stephen is likely a Greek person, so he's not in the, the Jewish Hebrew family. And so he's, look, he's looking at him, he's like, I just got adopted into this family. And let me tell you, your family tree's a mess. <laughs> Which of your prophets, the ones God sent as messengers to tell you his word, did you not persecute? Did you not disobey? Did you not threaten to kill or kill? Time and time again, we see that happen in the story. They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You see how he just flipped that story on them? Anthony has given me this phrase recently that a guy who we both respect, Zach Eswine, has said that what scripture does is it takes us from the window to the mirror. Meaning we're looking in on a story of other people, but eventually what that does is it, it turns from a window where you see through and you look at other people to a mirror that reflects back on you and you have to examine yourself. And that's what Stephen's just done to them. You remember the story of your ancestors? Now look at yourselves. And he does the same thing Peter did. They, they were the ones who incited the crowds to murder Jesus. And then Peter would say that time and time again. This Jesus who God raised up, yet who you put to death. And so Stephen is doing that same, that same little like Jedi trick right there. You have become the ones who have prophesied about coming against the righteous one. Welcome to the story. You're in it now. Is that the place you wanted to be? Is that the part you wanted to play? And then he, he continues, verse 53, you received the law under the direction of angels and yet you have not kept it. Let's keep going on the slides to verse 54. When they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at him. I've never seen gnashing your teeth at somebody, but it probably doesn't look pretty. Like how mad do you have to be to start like acting like you're chomping at them? You know, what does that even look like? This enraged them. Hearing the story, hearing the truth, enraged them. Anthony talked a little bit about this last week. Like that is the reality, is the good news, is good news for those who know they need it. But man, for those who don't, for those who think they're good on their own, I've done all the right things on the outside, it's going to stir up opposition. It's going to stir up anger. It may even start violence. 
When they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at him. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Could you imagine that? What mercy God has given him in that moment. Don't look at these weird, (laughs) gnashing teeth people right now. Don't look at the violence on their faces, the hatred in their hearts. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't worry, Stephen, I'm with you. He said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. For Stephen, this is glorious. But they yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, they refused to hear it, and together rushed against him. What they heard in that moment was, you're you're quoting something from Daniel and you are once again claiming that Jesus is God. How dare you? They dragged him, verse 58, out of the city and began to stone him. That means, we read this last night uh, with our kids and our youngest was like, sticks and stones, man, when we break my bones, like how is that gonna kill somebody? It was like, no, they're, they're picking up these giant rocks and they're throwing them at him until it's enough to kill him. So like first rock doesn't do it, second one doesn't do it, you keep going. And you just keep hurling these things at them. Maybe you're aiming for the temple. It doesn't matter. You get enough blunt force to your body eventually. This is a torturous murder. This is how angry they are. These righteous teachers of the law. The witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's an interesting little bit of information there, isn't it? Like, what does that mean? Why would they lay their garments there? Why does Luke make that a point to tell us? I think on a very practical level, I think there's more to it too, but let's start in the practical level. Like when you are getting up to throw something, to swing a bat, to go play like basketball, you got a little pickup game going on, what do you do? Let me take my jacket off, right? Go to your friend, hold this. <laughs> we used to play basketball as friends, and what we would do, we'd take off our stuff, and we'd set it down on the court, but we'd put it all together in one spot. And usually, if there's someone not playing, you ask that person to watch your stuff, right? They're saying, hey, like, hey, let's, let's stretch, let's get limbered up. Anything that's in the way of us throwing these stones at this dude as hard as we can, let's get that off. I remember one time getting in a fight, and it was like, hold this. This is a long time ago. I don't get in fights anymore, okay? But that's the image we get. But there's also, I think, something more significant going on here. This man, Saul, is standing here. He's been part of this council, part of this group of religious leaders who are approving of all of this. And what he's doing is not just being a witness of what's going on, but now someone who's complicit in it saying, yeah, bring me your garments. I'll stand here and keep guard and I'll watch over this thing. A lot of commentators think that this is actually potentially a person who then would have had authority over the situation. Like if you're gonna bring your garments over here in front of my feet and I'm agreeing to watch over you, what I'm doing is I'm giving you permission to do the thing you're doing. This is interesting because just like we heard in the story earlier of 
Luke telling of the seven men who are chosen, and he lists seven names. Stephen and Philip are one of them. We're going to hear about Philip next week, and we're hearing about Stephen now. What he does all throughout Acts is he actually kind of sprinkles in these little previews of the next story. He gives you these connecting points of what's going on. And Saul is going to play a significant role coming up in Acts. But first, while they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And after saying this, he died. We've had a lot in this story that has pointed us backward in the story to remind us of something else that has happened. What does this remind you of right now? Yeah. The torturous, murderous crucifixion of Jesus. And in his last breath, in his last breath, he says, Lord, I commit my spirit to you, right? That's what Stephen says, receive my spirit. And then he, he prays for the people murdering him. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I wanted to go beat up the person that broke into cultivate. <laughs> like, I just emptied some bills out of a cash register. Could you imagine being murdered and in that moment having grace and forgiveness and compassion on the very people doing that to you? I think this is huge because we see that about Jesus. We hear that story and we go, man, thank God, because I'm one of those people who has sinned against God and Jesus has that compassion on me. Thank God Jesus could do that. But here's Stephen waiting on tables. Regular dude. Not even part of the family of Israel initially. Adopted in. Full of the same Holy Spirit that Jesus was full of emulating the same grace and compassion and forgiveness. Do we carry that? Do our faces shine with that grace and compassion and forgiveness and love for the people that we feel like are against us in this world? And after that, he died. Chapter eight, just three verses. Saul agreed with putting him to death. See, that's significant. He wasn't just collecting coats. He wasn't just watching it for them. Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. This was a catalyst moment for more torture and more abuse, more opposition, more oppression on the church, the new community of people following Jesus. And it could have ended things right there. But same way we saw Jesus entering into death to bring life to many, Stephen gets to be part of the story with him. Because of his trust in Jesus, he's filled with the spirit and he gets to enter into that story. The story he just told to the council, he is now living out. And even in his death, God will actually use this to bring life to many people. Because this man, Saul, who's overseeing the whole thing, who then goes on a rampage against the church, dragging people 
out of their communities, out of their homes, and throwing them in prison, persecuting, ends up having an encounter with Jesus himself. Jesus shows up one day, and we'll hear about this on another Sunday, but he shows up one day, spoiler alert, and just blinds Saul. All the stuff he, he, he thought he knew before, it's stripped away from him. He was already blind and didn't know it. And Jesus meets him. And he shows his glory, his radiance shines in front of him. And he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're not just going after people who you think are wrong about who God is. You're coming after me. And Saul completely transforms. And he even gets a new name for his new identity. And he becomes Paul, the apostle, who had an encounter physically with Jesus himself. And what does Paul do? He goes out and he starts spreading the story, the good news of Jesus to all the nations. This first part of Acts that we've been in, we've been seeing how right there at the epicenter in Jerusalem, how things are going down. But what we're going to see start to take a turn is most of Acts, most of what's left of Acts is this man, Paul, who is now bringing this good news to other nations, to what the Bible calls Gentiles. Bringing this good news to so many other people who had not yet heard or received it. Out of death, out of the death of Stephen, God, in the hardness of that, he uses it to transform the life of Saul into Paul, but not just that, to transform the lives of countless other people. And like, Missio, we're here today because of that. We're the Gentiles. We're the other nations on the other side of the world. Out of death, God is still at work bringing life. Whatever you have going on in your life right now, whatever you're facing that is just like, man, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Know that Jesus is there with you. You can look up and fix your eyes on him instead of the circumstance, instead of the gnashing of teeth. You can see the glory of God is present. And you could be filled with the grace and power of the same Holy Spirit that was with Jesus with Stephen and Lord willing is with us still today. Amen.